If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Our guest today is Sam Lyle. Sam's an eventing specialist rider, coach, trainer and competitor up to four star. He's also the assistant Olympic coach in Beijing and at the World Championships. How are you, Sam? Yeah, good, thanks, Glenis. Good, good. Have you got a quote or something to start us off with today, Sam? Look, I don't actually have a quote that uh, I sort of live by or trained or taught by. It's more of a philosophy, I guess. It's just based around things I've seen and books I've read on different successful people. Mm-hmm. It's about not letting failures get you down or sort of knock you down too hard, and especially in eventing. It is a sport of lots of highs and lots of lows, and it's really important to sort of take your failures or your things that have gone wrong and learn from them rather than let them get you down. So that's sort of more of a philosophy than a quote, I guess. So with your own students, though, I'm sure you impart that philosophy to them. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's certainly something I try and live by myself, but also encourage the people I coach to mm-hmm. do the same. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Now, Sam, tell us about your earliest memories with horses and how you started. Look, I um, started pretty late, actually. I'd sort of ridden once or twice on a farm that I went and stayed at as a kid when I was you know, 10 or so, or 8 or something like that. I'm not sure. Mm. But uh, when I was about 13, 14 years old, we, as when I say we, my mum bought a little five-acre farm down in an area called Foxground on the New South Wales south coast. Yep. And it happened to be more or less opposite a, a venting coach, Simon Cale. Yes, I was going to say Foxground, that's down where Simon lives, yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like we're pretty much opposite him. My sister's got right into it and um, I was a surf kid. I wanted to go to the beach and windsurf all the time <laughs> and got to the point where... Um, Mum wouldn't drive me anymore to the beach and being 13, 14, I couldn't get there on my own and my sisters are into the horse game so I thought, well, I'd better give this a go as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, that's a good start and lucky you went to a good coach to get you started as well. Yeah, I mean, definitely they got into it but living basically across the road from Simon, he was very influential and charismatic and the whole thing and sort of did really, I guess, get my interest going in it. Now, when you were a 13 or 14-year-old, because you'd already ridden a couple of times on a farm, did you think you could ride? Oh, look, I, I don't know. No. no I was pretty okay. hopeless. Okay. I, I mean, I got into it very quickly. So mm-hmm. we had a little horse came with the farm and I used to ride him a bit and I was always trying to do better than my sister. So like, pretty quickly I went to a riding camp at Simon's and then We'd have little jumping competitions at home, and they'd win a fair bit more than me at this stage, but I was always trying to jump higher or do it better than them. <laughs> so, look, I think I gave Simon a few grey hairs tearing around his property out of control, but I did try and <laughs> progress quite quickly through it all. And then what about having a career with horses? Was it something that at that stage you saw Simon being a professional, you decided to be a professional, or something happened a bit later? How did that work out? I'm not sure if I consciously decided. You know, Simon was definitely a professional. He was a hard worker. He was always off doing coaching or 
riding. You know, I saw him really work hard at being an equestrian, I guess. So that was something I took from him. And once I left school, I just wanted to ride as much as I could. And then there comes a point when you become a younger adult where you feel you need to make your own money. You can't rely on parents to support you. So I'd try and do whatever I could, whether it was ride some polo ponies for the guy across the road or teach a lesson or take on the most wild feral horse for schooling. Just <laughs> just whatever I could to try and start earning my own way a bit. Yep, yep. And what do you think, people that start off, what do you think the core skills that you had when you were very first starting, starting with your riding, you know, before you really thought it was going to be a career, core skills and character traits you had that made you successful? I'm not sure about core skills, to be honest. I do seem to remember from a pretty early stage yeah, I could sort of see a distance okay. Mm-hmm. So I took the jump in certainly a lot more naturally than I took to dressage and the flat work side of things. As far as character traits, I loved it. So we would be at this farm on the weekends and the holidays and I'd get up as early as I could and I'd want to go and do as much horse stuff as I could, whether that was muck out the yards of the horses or go and work at Simon's Place or... You know, I genuinely really love being involved with it and the horses. And I think if you want to look at it as a career, it needs to be a real passion and something that you just feel you have to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, you said earlier on that you could see a distance okay. What other skills do you have and other top competitors? Um, you know, because you're rubbing shoulder with top competitors all the time. What do they have above the oh, you know, the riders that are sort of getting around a one star or getting around sort of the local competitions. What do you have and what do they have that sets them above the rest? Look, it's probably slightly different for each person. We'll have sort of a strength in their riding compared to someone else. Mm -hmm. I think firstly to ride at the higher levels of anything, you do need a bit of bravery, need a bit of gung-ho sort of that ability to get it done and make it happen and get to the other side. Mm -hmm. I've taught plenty of people that in their hearts, they're sort of brave to pre-novice and one star and that's it. And that's fantastic. They will love the sport and get a huge amount out of it. So they definitely need to, particularly I think for eventing, have a degree of bravery, I guess. Mm -hmm. But then you also need a lot of dedication. I think the big thing is to get to those higher levels, you need to be really committed and really try to be professional about it and pay attention to a lot of the small details. Your horse's shoeing, veterinary feed, making sure of little things like they don't have a boot rub, just just that attention to detail does really sort of help you get to those next levels. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then what do you think is the best thing about being in the horse industry? Obviously, it's the working with the horses. Mm. I do enjoy being my own boss. Yep. Definitely my wife and I, we have a property and being my own boss on it, it, it's got its disadvantages as well. But I do like waking up and going outside and I'm at work. I don't have to commute and I don't have to go and answer to people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But ultimately, it's the working with horses. It's the getting to be part of their lives and try and train them and the enjoyment that that brings you when you go well with them. Yep. And that partnership, yep. you can bond with them. It, it sounds a bit cheesy to say that. That <laughs> partnership, that's some of my best parts of the sport are when you feel you're really going great together with a horse that you've put a lot of time and training into and he or she, you know, the horse is trying really hard for you and you feel that connection with it. Yep, yep. All right. Now, you talked about Simon being a, you know, someone who's influenced you. Who else has influenced you in your career? I've been lucky to have a lot of good coaches. I think Australia in general is really 
we're really blessed to have great coaches here. I've sort of been to England for a couple of years and I've lived in Germany and Holland a bit, which is great. I've got things out of those, but the majority of the things I've learned in our sport are from Australia. And like I said, we're blessed to have really, really good coaches here. I mean, I went and did uh, some time with Robert Stewart. Mm -hmm. So I sort of started my training with Simon and then had a few lessons with different coaches and then went and spent a considerable amount of time at Robert's place. So and his wife at the time, Debbie as well, and uh, but particularly Robert had a huge influence on my show jump riding and coaching. Okay. Um, but then Wayne Oycroft, he was a, a huge sort of help in my career and particularly my coaching, a big supporter and just just the horseman. Just his horsemanship is something that I envy. I still, I'm, I'm not the horseman that he is, or you know, unfortunately, I probably never will be. Mm-hmm. But then someone like Heath and Pru and Craig and what they've contributed to our sport and helped me as well. Yep. As uh, you know, it's, it's heaps of people have played a part. Yep. 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 What about horses? Horses. Horses. Look, mm. I've I've had some really good ones. Yep. Certainly, my first couple, which were bought sort of through Simon, or one of them was a horse, Fox Ground Findara, that Simon had campaigned to one star level, and then another one we bought through Simon, Fox Ground Dusky Song. They were my first two horses that got me through to, to ultimately three and four star level. And look, I look back on them and I took them for granted, I guess, just how good they were and how much they helped me and taught me and what good jumpers they were. They, I guess, were in a way, probably the two biggest influences on my career because I think if I hadn't had them and had horses with that talent to make the mistakes on and to learn the riding at the higher levels, mm-hmm. I may, or may not have continued in the sport. I've had some other very good horses since then, but I'd say those two played the biggest role in uh, helping me get into the sport for sure. So you place a pretty high importance in on getting horses that can take riders around. How old were you when you had them? Look, I was lucky. So I started riding at 13 or 14 and mm. probably Findara, who uh, called Nani, probably about 16. Mm-hmm. So I sort of, within two years, was riding one star on him and then three or, you know, another year or two later than that, doing two and three stars on him. Yep, yep. And he was just an unbelievable horse. So when he was retired from eventing, he then went to Jamie Coleman's daughter and mm-hmm. then Rod Brown's daughter, and they both jumped junior national uh, show jump classes on him, I think. One might have won and one was second, one of the, the two girls. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just a lovely, lovely horse. And I was lucky to get him really early on and do my first, yeah, one stars, two stars, first everything really on him. Yeah, yeah. What do you think your proudest moments been? Proudest moments. Look, I guess some of my biggest successes came <laughs> too many years ago now. I remember doing um, the Sydney Test event, which obviously that's – nearly 20 years ago, I think. Mm. And I had a horse there that was really green and I rode him around the two-star and it was sort of a big deal for us going to this new venue and everyone was so excited about the Olympics. And I sort of came away from that event. I finished third, but behind two way more experienced and and very good horses. I just remember coming away thinking I've just done the very best I possibly could have in all three phases Mm -hmm. and how Mm -hmm. I felt really, um, like I'd really achieved something. It was a very good horse, but... Just to have done the very best I could in all three three disciplines was great. And I think that's probably the thing I like most about the sport or, or one of the times I enjoy most is when you come particularly off the cross country, but it can be in any of the three disciplines. And you just know that that horse that you've played a big role in training has given everything he could for you to go the best he could that, that day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Now, you talked 
about, you know, challenges. What do you think your biggest challenge been to get to where you are now? I think it's the balancing of everything that's involved. So, like, I've had a desire to want to make my own living. I've been lucky. My mum's definitely helped me and supported me. I can't, I couldn't have done it without her, but there's always been that burning desire to also make your own way. Mm -hmm. And so the mix of trying to blend, you know, life commitments and the mortgage and supporting the family and wanting to ride really good horses. And at the end of the day, trying to be an elite level athlete competitor in any sport is quite selfish. And so it's a mix of trying to blend that selfishness with also being there with the family and all the things that are involved in life getting getting the right balance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what hints or what you know what what have you got that you can tell some of our listeners who might be struggling with the same type of questions about trying to get the balance right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> I guess it comes down to each person needs to work it out a bit for themselves. I mean, advice definitely to people would be try and ride the best horses you can. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the sort of balance will do you sell them or not sell them. Obviously, if you're riding a, a really good horse, you can be offered reasonable money. And so you've got to make that decision, uh, you know, and so that's something each person has to work out for themselves. Mm-hmm. But definitely mm-hmm. trying to find time to do things you want to do. I remember thinking, oh, I couldn't possibly miss that event because it's, you know, you, you can't miss one event. Really, in hindsight, it doesn't matter so much as other things that can be more important. Mm-hmm. But I guess the advice is for people to sort of sit back and think what's really important to them. And if they really, if getting to that top elite Olympic level is number one, then they're going to have to sacrifice somewhere else and being okay with that sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Working out in yourself, right? I'm doing my number one goal is to compete the Olympics. So maybe I can't sell that horse and therefore I can't buy the property and I have to work a job I don't like so much you know mm-hmm, you've mm-hmm. got to sacrifice somewhere and so being okay with the sacrifice yep. to get to what you really want yeah yeah putting on your coach's cap what's a common fault you see with riders and how to fix it you know something that the listeners can take away something that you see common as a coach and it might be a bit of an overview and then some information what they can do about it the common fault I guess with the jumping Cross country, mm-hmm. or a thing that can be really influential is getting your line right for the fence. So I talk to people about, you know, it's really important to get your pace right and your line right to the fence. Okay. You see a lot of people in the cross country will come around the turn, a little bit unbalanced, cut their corner and angle across the fence, and the horse will glance off it. Mm-hmm. And they'll get organised, come back, get square straight to the fence, and jump straight over it. Get their horses on it properly, and they jump it. So I guess that way to fix that is just to make time on your approach to make sure you've got your balance so the horse isn't running away on you has time to look at the fence and get straight to the jump perpendicular sort of 90 degrees to the middle of the jump Mm -hmm. gives you the best chance for the horse to jump it oh hang on a sec let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory and the practical components can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Okay, thanks. Is it something that, you know, walking the course, you've got to consider that when you're walking the course? Yeah, I mean, the more experienced riders can sort of stand there in the middle of the show jump course and mm. look, oh, there's one, there's two, yep. there's three, there's yep. four, you know, and 
wing it for the course and, and they'll probably do those basic things right. Mm. Certainly the less experienced riders do need to absolutely walk the course and plan their corners and think, oh, I'm going to come out here and I'm going to make my approach there and get wide here on the turn so the horse can get his eye on the fence. And it's the same for cross country when I'm walking with less experienced people. I tell them, you know, don't just walk, oh, here's number one, all right, here's number two. You've got to actually walk, I'm going to, I'm going to walk here and this is where I'm going to ride and I'm going to come out and then my horse can see the fence here and then I'm going to land and go down between those two trees and then I'm going to stay out and there's number three. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, when you walk the course, you can plan where you want to ride to get straight to the fence. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, Sam, now have you got a book that you can recommend to our listeners just to complement their training? The basic, the German dressage one is it the principles of principles uh, of riding. riding. Yep, yep. That's definitely a good basic overview. I haven't read. I, I found in my own riding, my own learning, I'm not great at reading a book and then going and sitting on the horse and going, oh, that's what you do. You know, I was reading a thing the other day about the half halt, mm-hmm. and I got it intellectually, everything that was being said, and then I went out and I rode the next day and. I have to say, I don't think I rode any better. Mm-hmm. I'm much better at practicing and, and trying to feel it and things like that. So I haven't read a lot of books about riding, but definitely that is one I have read and it does give you a good fundamental um, appreciation of it. Yeah, okay, okay. All right, that's good. Now, Sam, what are you looking forward to at the moment? What does your future hold? Uh, I'm actually really excited about this year. I've got a couple of new horses and um, that's something that part of that getting the balance right and mm-hmm. you know I want to really uh, I think it's important for young riders as well to make sure they get on the right horses and good horses and so I'm trying to do that myself get on some that are you know some better horses and yep. try and beat people like Shane a bit more <laughs> so I've got a few this year that I'm excited about so I'm actually really fired up for this season to see how they go good good all right now just in a few sentences, just summarise your philosophy with horses. Look, I guess I look at it as it's our job as riders to try and teach the horse to understand what we want them to do. Mm-hmm. So across the three disciplines of eventing, the common thing that I think about is my job is to try and teach the horse to understand what I want them to do when I ask them. Mm-hmm. So trying to be clear with the age that if you put your left leg on, you expect them to move their body to the right or whatever it is. Just try to be very clear with what you're asking so that it's easier for them to understand what you expect of them. Okay. That would be my overall philosophy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. That sounds fairly straightforward and I'm sure that with practice. Yeah, it's easier, much easier to say sometimes than to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I suppose if you've got that underlying philosophy, you know, it's easy then to just build on that. Yeah. Yeah. And Sam, how can people contact you? Look, we have a website, lilaequestrian.com, I think it is. Lyle Equestrian comes up and um, there's a Facebook page as well. We'll get those links and put them on your page at Horse Chats, which will be horsechats.com slash Sam Lyle, or else just go to horsechats.com and search for Sam. Sam, thanks very much for talking to us today. I'm sure that your, you know, your level of expertise, people will want to listen to this a couple of times just to make sure that they've got all the details that you've been able to give us. And, um, you know, certainly appreciate your time. It's been great talking to you. So thank you. Pleasure. Thanks, Glenis. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. 
If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.